I invite you to turn to the book of 2 Kings, not 1 Kings, but 2 Kings chapter 2. Second Kings chapter 2. In chapter 1, and for most of chapter 2, Elijah has finished his ministry and been translated into heaven in a most remarkable, glorious way. The prophetic mantle that he wore now literally and figuratively is given to Elisha. It's Elisha we're going to be looking at today. I'd like to begin reading at verse 19 through verse 25, the end of the chapter. Now the men of the city said to Elisha, excuse me, I'm going to start at verse 15. I said said 19. I'm going to start at verse 15. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. And they said to him, Behold, now there are with your servants fifty strong men. Please let let them go and seek your master. It may be that the spirit of the Lord has caught him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, You shall not sin. But when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, Sin. They sent therefore fifty men, and for three days they sought him, that is, sought Elijah, but did not find him. And they came back to him while he was staying at Jericho, and he said to them, Did I not say to you, Do not go? Now the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of the city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. He said, Bring me a new bowl, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water and threw salt in it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. He went up from there to Bethel. And while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, Go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. And he turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys. From there he went on to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. I want to read to you the passages that appeared in the King James Version, which many of you were familiar for many years. That's the version I grew up with. And as I considered this story and looked at it, I was always scratching my head. What in the world is this about? This is how the King James put it, especially notice the beginning. And he went up from thence, that is from Jericho, unto Bethel. And as he was going up by the way, there came forth little children out of the city and mocked him and said unto him, Go up, thou bald head, go up, thou bald head. And he turned back, looked on them, cursed them in the name of the Lord, there came forth two she-bears out of the world and tear forty and two children of them. What a strange story. And as a kid growing up, I, I was really sad, puzzled by this. There are these poor little kids are playing in the street. I don't play hopscotch or tiddlywinks or Simon Says, kind of giggling around, having some fun. Along comes this crotchety old man, and they start, you know, teasing him. Hey, go up, bald man, go up, bald man. 
He turns and looks at them with a stern face and fire in his eyes. He points at them and he says, May a curse come upon you. May great harm come upon you. And he waves his hand and out of the woods come two female bears. They begin to attack these poor little kids. They're biting them, mauling them. They're crying. They're pitiful, crying for their mommies and daddies. It's a terrible scene. But this little smirk on his face and a smile on his face, this old man turns and continues on his journey. Well, that's the way it seems to come across. So what's it doing in the Bible? How can anyone believe in a book that has something like this in it? How can anyone trust in the God of Elisha who allows something like this to happen? How can he be believed or honored? And let me ask you this question. What about the gospel message? Where's the gospel in this about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen for sinners? We look at this passage and we say, I don't see it there at all. Well, let's take a closer look at this passage, particularly as it is in the English Standard Version that I read for you a moment ago. Some of you may have the New International Version, and you may have a New King James Version. Those three versions pretty much agree and have solved at least some of the problems. The setting is the early 1800s, 800 B.C., Judah and Israel, Judah to the south, Israel to the north, they're pretty much together, they're considered the, the people of God at this point. From Jericho, Elisha is said to be on his way to the city of Bethel. Bethel is about, is northwest of Jericho, at about 3,000 elevation, 3,000 feet elevation, north of Jerusalem. Bethel was one of Israel's most sacred places. It was the place where Abram built his first altar where Jacob had his famous dream. It had become the center of Israel's worship for a while, but then under King Jeroboam, that changed. And at this point in time, Bethel is now a great city of wickedness. A false, very idolatrous, cultic religion had grown up in that city. So it's very important to keep the city in mind. It will help you understand this passage. and We'll notice that in just a few moments. Another thing that will help us is to take a look at what the King James Version used, the phrase, little children. English Standard Version has a little differently. It talks about small boys. The NIV, and also the, well, the, King, the New King James Version, has youths, or young men. The Hebrew words little... And children have a wide flexibility of meaning, even in the Scripture. For example, a couple of places in Genesis where the word Hebrew word little appears. Rebecca called Jacob her younger son, even though he was much older than a little kid. Joseph is called a boy at age 17. Benjamin, a young brother, a child at age 30. And the Hebrew word children is also used in a different way. Isaac on Mount Moriah, Bible scholars believe he was about 20 years of age. Solomon, the king, in 1 Kings chapter 3 through 7, in his prayer, he said, I am but a little child. King Rehoboam's counselors are referred to in 1 Kings 12, 8 as young men. And both words interestingly occur in 1 Samuel 6, 11 about David 
And at that point, at least he was old enough to take care of sheep. So these words then can easily apply to any young boy or young man from age 12 up to about age 30, at least late adolescence, young men without a full place in society, too young to marry, but designated by these various terms. Even today, an older man might refer to somebody who's even in their 30s or 40s as, as kids, young men. They come out of the city. We see that in verse 23. These small boys came out of the city. And I referred to the city of Bethel a moment ago. The word Bethel means house of God. But in Elisha's time, it had become a house of great wickedness and sinful rebellion. So as they approach this very this city where there are all kinds of idols being worshipped, he was coming to a place which actually had, we'll use the term seminaries. There were two seminaries there. There was Bethel Theological Seminary. That was conservative. They followed Jehovah. It was Elisha's people. The sons of the prophets were there. Somehow they, they had a little school there. So Elisha undoubtedly on his way to visit them. But there was also a very liberal seminary, Baal Theological Seminary. And they put the emphasis upon Baal and the worship of Baal. So therefore, what do we have as we look at this verse 23? A much grimmer situation than little three, fours, and fives playing tiddlywinks on the street. What we have here are, is a group of young, insolent men, young men, ready to show contempt for God's servant. Arthur W. Pink says that Elijah came toward the city of Bethel, he could hear the hiss of the serpent and the roar of the lion. Now here's where we can find some gospel right here. Well, I don't see that. I don't see that. Remember that Elisha is a prophet of the Lord, and Elisha and the other prophets were spokesmen for the Lord, but they were forerunners of what? The great prophet to come told about in Deuteronomy 18. The Lord has promised he's going to send a great prophet, capital P. And we know that that was Jesus Christ. So Elisha, remember, is a type of Christ here. And even as Elisha is now about to be attacked for his position, his testimony, so we know the Lord had to endure the taunts and mocks of his society. Things started out good for Jesus, even as they started out good for Elisha. It was a wonderful experience with Elijah. And then this miracle in Jericho. And now Elisha is involved with this riffraff of people coming against him. Both Elisha and Jesus himself had to live in a world where the curse of sin had made its marks upon this planet. Let's look next at the so-called playful words. I put that in quotation marks. The playful words, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. These were not just innocent comments, but words of pure mockery. Notice it says that they jeered at him saying those words. They mocked Elisha. You wonder, where, where did they get this idea to do that? Surely we must surmise that the priests in, Baal, in Bethel, priests of Baal had 
talk to them and explain to them, this is what you need to do, this is what you need to say. Probably there were many interesting dinner conversations in their homes in which their parents said, yeah, we understand this Elisha's coming. Don't pay attention to him. We need to take care of him. We don't want Jehovah. We want Baal. Baal's our God. Baal's the one we need to serve. So this is built into these men, of the, these minds of these young men. And so they spout these words. Now, when they use the term, you bald head, were they saying something like this? Hey, baldy! I think not. The Hebrew word means literally you with a bald spot in back of your head. Now, you usually think of something like I have, more bald in the front of my head. I'm doing good back here. Why the back of the head? Well, did that mean that Elisha had a case of leprosy or was born with a birth defect? No, no, the term bald head had come to mean something very uh, scornful. This was a term of great mockery. Something like we would say, you snake, you dog, you scum. That's what they're saying when they say the term, use the term bald head to Elisha. That's what they thought of him. So the real point is, these young Bethelites purposely were using a most vulgar insult against a prophet of God. Mocking the messengers of God was a crying sin among Israel. In 2 Chronicles 36, we read, The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by His messengers because He had compassion on His people and His dwelling place, but they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising His words and scoffing at His prophets. Elisha was not the only one that underwent this, but certainly on this day, he did. We think of Jesus and his ministry. As I said earlier, started out well. Crowds of people flocked to him. They were interested in what he had to say. But pretty soon the crowds began to turn against him. And the, the priests and leaders, scribes of the people, they began to use mocking words, words of scorn against Jesus all the way to the cross. There again we find Elisha is a picture of the coming great prophet. What about that phrase, go up? What do these young guys mean by that? Do they mean, uh, keep, keep going on up to the city. We'll, we'll deal with you up there. Or my, our priest will deal with you there. Or do they mean something else? Like, uh, why don't you just leave us and don't bother us? Just get out of here. Or, this is what I think they meant. Why don't you go up like your master Elijah did. We heard about that. We don't believe it happened. We heard that somehow your God somehow took him out of this world and he went up before your eyes up into the sky and he's in your heaven. Why don't you do the same thing, Elijah? Why don't God take you up right now and why don't you just leave us? Get out of here. So the supreme, the servant of the Lord, Elijah, experienced it. Certainly the supreme servant of the Lord, Jesus our Savior, experienced it. And so do his, has his servants even today. Ridicule, snide remarks, accusations about being narrow-minded, bigoted, what makes you pe- think you people are right, and that sort of thing. Why was there such animosity against this Elisha? As far as we know from the rest of the character revealed to us, compared to Elijah, he was a pretty nice guy, outwardly. 
Very soft, gentle, did a lot of wonderful, nice things. Why were they so angry with him? Well, why were they so angry at Jesus? That to me is still a puzzle why people hate Christianity so much when Christ himself was this person of kindness and goodness, supposedly, and Christians more or less have had the, the testimony for many years of being nice people. Why such animosity? Because Elisha and Jesus and we today are a witness against their evil ways. And the gospel itself does that, doesn't it? The gospel, before you can get to the point that Jesus died for your sins, you have to acknowledge, I'm a sinner. I deserve the judgment of God. But thankfully, Jesus died for me. And I'm now in his family. Okay, you say, all right, that, that, this is helpful. I, I kind of understand now a little better what's going on here, who's saying these words, what they're after, how they're treating Elisha. But what about this cruel curse that was pronounced by Elisha upon him? Isn't that just a bit too much? After all, what a horrible scene that must have been. These bears attacking these young boys. Especially in our day and age here in 2020, our permissive society in America, our non-judgmental society, would never accept something like this as being meaningful at all. Surely this punishment of this cruel curse was way out of proportion to what they said. And what about Elisha himself losing his cool? Let's look at this. First of all, Elisha did not lose his cool. He did not blow a gasket. Look at the text. Verse 24, and he turned around and he saw them. Didn't say anything at that point. He just looked at them. Be careful in blaming Elisha for doing this because you're, in doing that, you are blaming the Lord himself. Moses said this back in Exodus to the Israelites. He said, your murmurings are not against us, that's Moses and Aaron, but against the Lord. And when Peter confronted Ananias in Acts chapter 5, he said, you have not lied to men, but to God. Look at the text again. And he turned around, when he saw them, he cursed them. Yes, he pronounced a curse upon them. Look at the next words. In the name of the Lord. In the name of Jehovah. In the name of the God who was standing in opposition to Baal, the God in Bethel. It's important to notice that. Elisha had a duty, a responsibility to pronounce that curse. Deuteronomy 27.15 Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image, which were in Bethel, an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of a craftsman, and sets it up in secret. Lord, the Lord's prophets in the Old Testament era, they were responsible for challenging people with their sin and pronouncing judgment upon them if they did not repent and turn to the Lord. What do we read in the Ten Commandments, the Second Commandment in particular? I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children 
to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Now, the attack of the bears, obviously, a very horrible thing. I remember many, many years ago reading an article about a young man that was killed by a grizzly bear in Glacier National Park in Montana. Uh, they had to piece it together because no one was a, a witness to it. But as they put everything together, they realized what a terrible moment that had to have been for that young man. Imagine running across a, a ferocious grizzly bear. And you're all by yourself out there, and this bear begins to attack you and bite you and claw you. It's just a, what a horrible way to die, the pain, the agony. Well, go back to verse 23. He went up from there to Bethel, and while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him. Go up, your bald head. Go up, bald head. Against the prophet of the Lord. Wow. So the same God who commanded ravens to come and feed Elijah now responds to Elisha's curse and sends two female bears. The Lord did that. If in verses 19 through 22, we read how God's beneficent character was shown with the healing of the waters of Jericho, here in verse 24, we find His judgmental character. God is love, but His love is a holy love, H-O-L-Y. God must, just, must punish that which goes against His character. The Old Testament prophetic word, both healed and cursed. Jesus Christ is revealed in Scripture as the silent lamb who humbly, submissively went all the way to the cross, but he's also termed the Lion of Judah. He will be the final judge. The gospel itself is a message of good news, but you have to have the bad news along with it to appreciate the good news that Jesus died for sinners. The way the text reads, by the way, in, at the end of verse 24, this bear tore 42 of the boys. Seeming there were even more than 42 of these guys. So it was a rather large group of young men that had come out to mock Elisha. But as bad as this bear attack was, it would be as nothing compared to the coming invasion of the Assyrians, which would occur in not too many decades from this point. When they came swooping in from the north, and destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel and took the Israelites captive and spread them abroad, never to reunite again in that way. Psalm 105.15, the Lord speaks to the psalmist, Touch not my anointed one. Do my prophets no harm. But did the punishment really fit the crime? Again, we come back to that question I raised earlier. Isn't this a bit too much? Well, Israel did not tolerate disrespect for elders as we do in our day. But adults often laughed at youthful sins. That's just boys. They're just letting steam off. These rioters, how you've heard people excuse them in the sense of, well, they have a lot of rage in their hearts. They have a lot of reason they need to let this out. But back in the time of Elisha, particularly the people of God, 
they realize they need to be firm in their stand for the Lord. I pointed out earlier that Elisha did not lose his temper. He didn't use profanity. He didn't revile them. He merely, merely carried out Leviticus 26, verses 21 and 22. The Lord says, If you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins. And I will let loose the wild beasts against you, which shall bereave you of your children and destroy your livestock and make you few in number so that your road shall be deserted. Wow. <laughs> Pretty tough words from the Lord. A warning to his people. It was God who sent the bears. Elijah could only pronounce the curse. He couldn't cause the bears to come out at that particular moment. God sometimes judges sin very harshly. I mentioned about the Assyrians coming in and taking the northern kingdom. Same thing happened when the Babylonians came in and took the southern kingdom. We read these words in 2 Chronicles 36, right at the eve of the Babylonian captivity. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by His messengers because He had compassion on His people and on His dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising His words, scoffing at His prophets, until the wrath of the Lord rose against His people, until there was no remedy. Therefore, what's that word? Therefore, He brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, had not compassion on young man or virgin, old man or aged, he gave them all into his hand. The judgment of God upon a very simple, perverse, rebellious nation of Judah, the same kind of judgment that's in view here, even in our text with that terrible bear attack. You see, Elisha's whole ministry of God's word was in jeopardy, Therefore, the taunts had to be confronted. Something interesting came to my attention. I can't remember what I mentioned to you, but it's, it's a surmise. I don't think I did. I meant to. Surmise that when this happened, Elisha was only about 25 years of age. He wasn't some old crotchety man with a long white beard hobbling up toward Bethel. He's a young guy. But do you know that after this incident, and we can imagine what it must have been like back in Bethel when they got word of what was happening, they rushed down and saw what had happened, and carrying the dead back, the wounded back, the pitiful cries, and, and all that. What a terrible thing. But what an impression it had to have made upon the city of Bethel. And that's why for the rest of Elisha's ministry, he lived to be about 60 years old. Never again was he confronted as he was on this day on the Lord of Bethel. Let me have four closing comments for you to apply it to us today. Number one, the Bible is very true and accurate even when we think it's not. Even when we come to a passage like this, we say, what's this doing here? That shouldn't be in the Holy Word of God. Don't forget that the Scripture is filled with little narratives like this or verses difficult to understand. That doesn't mean they're not right, not true. This means what well, we haven't really understood fully what's involved with it. Arthur W. Pink wrote, As Jehovah was able to look after the sacred ark without the help of any of his creatures, so his truth is in need of no carnal assistance from us. 
It is to be received without question and believed in with all our hearts. It is to be preached and proclaimed in its entirety, including 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, without hesitation or reservation. Perhaps you noticed in the last newsletter I sent out that last Thursday, June 11th, was the 84th anniversary of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And God has been so good to us and has enabled us, at least in this point in time, to still remain faithful to the Scriptures, to the Word of God, infallible, inspired in all its parts. And so today we need, there's always been a need for prophets like Elisha, for the apostles, and down through the centuries to today, for preachers like myself, teachers, evangelists, theological scholars to explore the depths of the Word of God. So somebody like myself, I don't come up with these ideas all out of the blue. I stand on the shoulders of these great godly people of the past who have explored the Scriptures and opened up truths and meaning that's there. This passage also serves, doesn't as a warning today to both adults and especially to young people, and you who are children young people here today, it's very important you be alert to any movement, anything you hear that's against Christianity, against the church, against God, against the Bible, against Jesus, against the Holy Spirit, and any other sacred aspects of the Christian faith. Be ready for that. Be alert for that. And be ready to make your stand for the truth of the Word of God. But most important of all, I close with this. The case of the cruel curse reminds us so clearly that Jesus died on the cross to take the curse upon Himself, the curse we deserve. Here are Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Curses everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Jesus endured mockery and suffering and even death for sinners like you and me, in order that we might be delivered from the final curse of the final, final judgment, and have the glory of eternal life in heaven and fellowship with Him. May your trust be in Jesus alone to escape that curse so that you might enjoy His blessings forever. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father, we thank You for Your love to us in this very dark world. And along the way, those of us who are believers in Jesus, we had our hearts opened up, our minds opened up to the truth you have brought us to you in different ways, some through godly parents, some through a particular church, a particular individual, a radio program, a book, whatever it might be. Lord, we give you the glory for our salvation. We are so grateful that the curse has been removed from upon us. We need not fear judgment. We might even have boldness in the day of judgment because our faith and trust is in Jesus, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.